As the world begins to emerge from the cave of the 21st century and opens its eyes onto the suffering from centuries of injustice and the bastardization of what it means to be free, the new Nomos podcast is a call. A call for a new beginning. A call for the new men and the new women that yearn to be truly free. A call for us to fulfill our destiny. A call for a new Nomos on the earth. Welcome to the New Nomos Podcast. I'm Abdallah Dutton, inviting you to join me on this journey of discovery to define what the New Nomos is and what we need to get there. This episode is with Ahmed Masood, who is a young cinematographer and budding screenwriter. A few weeks ago, he approached me at an event and asked me a number of questions on a topic which I'm particularly passionate about, namely the subject of nobility and the life and times of Robert Devereux, the second Earl of Essex, a subject matter that Ahmed is actively doing research in to build and create body for a screenplay that he's working on. I knew I couldn't give justice to that subject in that moment, so I pitched him the idea, why don't you rather come to me with those questions, with the microphones rolling, and we put it together as an episode for the podcast. What came from it was a three-hour conversation that once again went in so many different directions on different tangents, but constantly coming back to the central theme. But when I came to edit the episode, I realized that there were two distinct parts to the conversation. So I've divided them into separate episodes, of which this is part one. So, without further ado, I present to you episode 32, Noble Characters in Search of an Author, part one, Facing the Dragon. I'm at a point where I'm actually, I'd officially call it a research point. Yeah. So I'm doing research in order to, to, to feel the inspiration that's going to birth these uh, characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and where I've ended up with is from going to like thinking of doing some far out stuff, like having them all like these three punk rock guys that are just totally misfits, you know, to having these gentlemen aristocrats. Maybe, they, maybe they're not punk rock, maybe they're actually gentlemen. And because nowadays punk rock is, you know, the whole idea is to sh- portray something that is not the norm, you know, mm. and punk rock, the whole look of punk rock and that alternative look has become a popular style in its own. You know, it's like, it's almost like it's, it's, it's a conventional form of being now, you yeah. know? Yeah. So the rebel form I thought would be actually to go back to these men dressing well in suits and in ties and, you know, uh, having that kind of bespoke, uh, that relationship with clothing. So I thought it could be, it could be that kind of man as well, because that in a, even in itself is a form of what the opposite of the norm, you know? Um, 
Mm, but that's an aesthetic form. That's an yes. outward form. Yes. What would be exciting to explore is the inward form. Mm. And something that I've been toying with and exploring and doing my own personal research in is the fact that nowadays the furthest thing from the norm is nobility. Yes. And nobility is a style. Yes. yes. It's not an aesthetic mm. principle. Absolutely. Well, there's an aesthetic principle to it, but nobility is something that's inward. Mm. It's something that you live by. Yes. It's a code of conduct that you adhere to, not for anything other than yourself. Yes. Because you want to be noble, so you act with nobility. And by being noble and acting with nobility, everybody else benefits, including yourself. Mm. And it's a form that was practiced in all of the stratas of, well, the highest stratas of society throughout history, whether you're looking at the European history, subcontinental history, African history, wherever you look at the rise of great empires, yes. there was a code of conduct among the elite. China as a great example. And this code of conduct had different manifestations. Yes. But when you break it down to its essence, they're all the same. Mm. And it's nobility. Yes. And it's something that if you want society to be healthy and in a state of expansion, expansion of knowledge, expansion of spirituality, and expansion of joy, and expansion of not necessarily peace. I don't want to use that word because it has a whole lot of connotations, but you could say a society of inward peace. Mm. And again, we're not getting caught up in kind of some utopian idea of this perfect yes. space because it's never been like that and it never will be like that because the human is human. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, I think that would be something exciting to explore, especially yes. in these characters because the world we live in, what we've inherited and what we're being shown, especially in the West, whether that's through film and Hollywood or TV and, you know, what's being shoved down our throats on Netflix or on the news or in society or these kind of online social media movements. It's all, well, not all, that's a broad statement, but it's a disconnect from nature and the human condition. Yes. And the highest form of the human in a social structure is nobility, at least as far as I'm concerned. Mm. Mm. So you're talking about nobility now, and I, um, I, I've recently made a bit of a development where I've, I've, I want to base the three characters of uh, of the screenplay on three characters during the time of um, of Elizabeth the first. And um, the, 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 the one of these men, which is, I think, the, the main guy is um, the Earl of Essex, who was also known as Robert Devereux. Um, and then uh, Marlowe, of course, um, who was a playwright amongst various other things. Um, and then originally I, 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 I thought Shakespeare, 
because uh, in in the research I had done and the information I found, he was kind of uh, it led me to believe that he was associated with the Earl of Essex during his re- rebellion, but in a very small, insignificant way. Um, so so these three men undoubtedly um, were noble men. Would you agree? I would agree, but. At that point, I think I just need to add in something mm. which Essex said, since you mentioned the Earl of Essex. Yes. And he said that being born into a noble family doesn't make you noble. Mm. So while, and I think this is very much a common misconception of nobility, because we talk about the nobility and you know you the term has this idea of aristocratic families which yes of course they were the nobility and because they were born into that arena they were educated and trained and nurtured into being noble but what essex said is that being born noble doesn't make you necessarily noble so if essex has said that nobility is not being born noble then what is nobility that's the question and it comes back to what i was saying at the beginning nobility is a style Mm. it's a it's a form that you choose to take on it's something that you you live and you exude from your being. Yes. Now, you kind of get this idea of nobility is self-sacrifice. I mean, if you go, if you Google it and you, you read through the descriptions of nobility and, and the perfect gentleman and this that, and the other, this idea comes through of like the gentleman is someone who sacrifices himself. And I don't personally believe that. I think that that idea has a has a very weighted christian connotation yes and i don't think it is that i think it's that the the noble the one the person of nobility it's not that they're sacrificing themselves for somebody else it's that their inner drive is to serve others yes and in serving others you're actually serving yourself. Mm. Raising others up means that they will raise you up. Now, you don't do it for the other one to raise you up. You do it because it's your style that you've taken on to raise up other people. Yes. Whether that's the poor, whether that's uh, those under your protection, whether that's those under your responsibility, whether that's your wife and children or your friends or your your circle of intimate companions what whatever it is by your raising other people up they're raising they they have to reciprocate by the nature of the human creature if you're raising somebody up it's in the nature of the human creature to raise you up, to reciprocate and raise you up yes and that's a key and very important part of the political manifestation of nobility in its highest form yes where the king or the sultan or the 
emperor or whatever title the ruler has, when he's raising up his nobles, the men of his court, the court are raising up the king. And like it is at the highest levels, it's the same on the lower levels. Whereas the because the king is in charge, less the king is in charge of the entire country, mm. right? And each one of his nobles is in charge of a large chunk. So under the nobles are thousands of people. So the king raises up the noble, the noble raises up the king, the noble raises up his people, and the people raise up the noble. So it's a healthy dynamic yes. across all stratas of society where there's responsibility and service in different shapes and different forms depending on where you fit in the I don't want to say pyramid, but where you where you fit in the society. Yes. So what I'm highlighting is there's 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 layers. Mm. There's lots of layers and there's ranks as well. There's different yeah. ranks of nobility. Yeah. But it's the it's the essence that I think is the thing that is lost. Well not lost, because it's not lost. But it's the essence that nobility is the essence that is missing in our modern time. And as you said, you're looking at the the, the punk rock artist as somebody who's kind of on the outskirts of society, pushing and kind of in a way also a little bit anarchic, mm. you know, like yes, breaking yes. away from society, trying to do something different, breaking the norms for our time. To be noble is is far out, dude. Yeah. Far out. Yeah. And it's something that you can aspire to. Mm. And it's something that anybody can attain. Because like Essex said, it's not about your birth. Yes, you're born into a noble family in the uh, Middle Ages and the whole society runs on that ethos and you're being taught that since the day you were born your father is that so you see it in action and you take it on mm. yeah great but that's an example showing you what nobility is rather than saying that you can only be noble if you're born into a noble family and no and the whole term of gentleman was somebody that a gentleman traditionally was a man that was not born into a noble family. Mm. But because he learnt and lived his life by a certain code of conduct, and he lived his life by the, the you know, lived his life with the style of nobility, he was raised up and he was given this title, gentleman. Yes. So it's, it's uh, anybody can be noble if they want to be. Anyone can be noble. Anybody can be noble. Yeah. It doesn't matter where you were born, mm. what culture you were born into, yes. what society you were born into, what political structure you were born into, whether you live in a democracy or liberal democracy or in a monarchy or in any other shape or form of society, nobility is a style. Mm. You can learn style. Yes. You can become stylish. Mm. I mean, I, I, I imagine it as quite a, like a, an, an infectious thing, you know, when somebody has this kind of style about them or this air about them, it, it's a very attractive thing. Why do you think that is? 
Look, I mean, I, I, when I was saying this, I, I, I had one fr one particular friend of mine in mind, and he's he's a um, he's a very uh, unique kind of character. You know, he's he's, he's originally Zimbabwean. Mm -hmm. He actually comes from, which was interesting. I found out a year after we had been friends that he was actually a prince. That he actually came from some sort of uh, Zimbabwean royal family. Okay. And they had withstood um, uh, uh, criticism from their people after Robert Mugabe uh, came into power. And, and I think a lot of wealthier Zimbabweans were getting scrutinized against because of the, a lot of the poorer people uh, uh, were, were, were angry, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and their family kind of got pushed out of Zimbabwe in a way, you know. So they had this amazing villa and a large estate and they kind of had to leave and live in Joburg for, you know, for, for years after the whole um, thing, fiasco. And, um, and this guy particularly, you know, I've, we've had conversations about fear, you know, we've had conversations about having the different kinds of relationships that people have with fear. So he's a skateboarder, but he's good. Like in skateboarding is a big thing about conquering fear, you know, or having a quite a close relationship with fear because before you even line up to do a certain kind of trick or grind a rail, you know, the first part of the battle is before you do anything, before mm. you even get on your board, you know, the first part of the battle is being there, looking at the spot, <laughs> walking, you know, a lot of the times guys will walk three or four times up and down the stairs, looking at the rail, taking their board, rubbing it against the rail, letting their trucks taste the rail, you know, taste the metal. So it's, it's already starting to wrap your, your mind around doing this thing, you know, aligning men, mental and physical memory you know, mm. because you know what you do, you're analyzing it, you, you know, in theory, what you need to do, but the body needs to abide by those thoughts, you know, by, by those instructions of the brain in order to execute it, yeah. you know, so it's, it's this marriage between the mind and the body and, and muscle memory, essentially. Um, but why I'm mentioning this is because we've had conversations like this in, in depth uh, to the extent that it's, it becomes like a philosophy, you know, um, and as I've known him for the last three or four years, the way he be behaves in life, he behaves in a way that openings are always being thrown at him. So, so certain opportunities are always being th thrown at him. And these opportunities are not always for his, benef for his benefit. It's most of the time he's getting this, this clout, if you want to call it right, mm -hmm. by helping other people. He's got this organization called the Skate Zimbabwe and they send like clothing and skateboards and gear to children in Zimbabwe. And I mean, the kids are, kids are loving it. You know, these kids are like got nothing. And he's involved in all sorts of schemes like that, you know. And um, his mentality of life is, is like, he's bold. You know, it's a classic thing of fortune favors the bold. You know, he makes bold decisions. He makes bold moves, throws himself in the deep end and things happen. Yes. You know, and, and things reach out to him. Interaction with people, I think, is a, is a very, um, is, I think it's at the core, I would go as far to say it's at, it's at the core of nobility, is understanding uh, yourself well enough to understand that anything human, I, I'm not short of anything human, you know. So, like, it's like the, an extreme example would be like, you know, it's like that, that poor, that beggar you know, in the street that you see, that you get, when you see, when you see him, you, you have a feeling, you know, you have some kind of feeling. You might feel ashamed, 
you might feel intimidated, you might feel empathetic, but you feel something. Mm. And you feel something because deep down inside of you, your subconscious know, that part of yourself, that true part of yourself knows that you are capable of being in the same state. Uh, that's vice, vice versa, right? And um, you have this feeling because you believe that some, a lot of people fear that state. A lot of people fear poverty. You know, mm. it's, 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 it's loathed, you know. And it's one of the tools that, you know, I was reading this thing about, you know, there's a saying that this is one of, one of the greatest tools that the devil uses is fear of poverty, you know. To, to, to control people and, and not even the devil but political systems <laughs> you know use poverty as a as this nobody wants to be broke nobody wants to be in a situation of not working of not earning money it's you know there's no degree of success that measures success without a situation where you're working and earning money you know there's no uh, a way of, of of measuring success without that you know, nowadays, uh, not that there isn't at all. Yeah, I'm saying we're not say using there it. There are many ways. There are many ways, but we're not using it. Mm. You know. Um, so, so yeah. So, the, so, so coming back to like uh, the the human the the interaction thing, I find that it's at the core of a lot of um, a lot of things I experience in my life. Uh, it comes down to interaction, and it comes down to understanding interaction and understanding politics. And I see it in my family. You know, as 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 small as we as we are in terms of like bigger political structures, even just a group of like five, a family of five, you know, there's, there's, there is deep levels of politics um, uh, uh, going down in that environment between three people. The family unit is a political entity. Yes, absolutely. It is a political entity. The family, well, if you look, the previous, one of the previous episodes I did on Polybius, well, it's called A New Hope, Polybius and the Crown Prince. And in it, I outline the Polybian cycle, which is, in a nutshell, that there are three systems, political systems, monarchy, aristocracy, and democracy. Yes. And when, like, you get one system, and it will uh, expand and raise up to its highest form, and then it will disintegrate into its lowest form, at which point a new system has to come in. So you have monarchy, it rises, rises, the king, the kingdom gets bigger and bigger and there's an expansion, and then it becomes a tyranny. Yes. Where at that point, the noble families or the high aristocracy, those powerful families in the kingdom, they say, we can't accept the tyranny of the king, we're going to curb his power, and we're going to make sure that he doesn't go out of line. At which point you have the rise of the aristocracy as a powerhouse. But then the aristocracy, over time, they disintegrate, mm. they lose the values that they yes. stood, the family stood by at the beginning, mm. and they disintegrate into an oligarchy, they get greedy and corrupt, and they start yes. infighting and becoming a smaller and smaller grouping. At which point the masses... Again, we've got these three levels, at which point the masses say, no, we can't accept this. We need laws and bureaucracy and administration in order to curb the power of the aristocracy that's now an oligarchy. Yes. And there you have the rise of democracy. But just like with the other two political systems, democracy too disintegrates as the, the structures that were 
put in place in order to curb the power of the aristocracy becomes corrupt and there's more and more corruption and yeah. it leads to widespread anarchy. Mm. At which point the cycle goes back to the beginning and where does the cycle begin? It begins with the family. Mm. You have a small family unit that has a leader. Yes. Then you have your neighbors on both sides of your on both sides of you. And each one of those families has a leader and you come together and you're like, you know, for our protection, we need to be together. Mm. Somebody raises to the top. That uncle's the most, uh, has the, the highest form of leadership qualities. Not that he's better or worse than us, but he's got the leadership qualities. He's going to lead us. Yeah. So he becomes the leader of the greater family. Mm. Then you've got one large family unit here and another large family unit next door. So now you come together and well, you become a clan mm. and then you bring more, more family units in together. And then the next family unit on the other side of the river, you know, and then you all come together and now you become a tribe mm. and a tribe, you know, then there's another tribe over there, another tribe over the mountain and et cetera, et cetera. And you all come together and now you're a kingdom. Mm. And again, the tribal leaders, the most suited for the leadership role, the most, yes. The, the one that has those qualities of leadership and governance, he raises up and he becomes the king. Yes. And he trains his children how he is. Mm. And he makes sure that the genetic coding is of the highest. It goes through the generations and the kingdom gets bigger and bigger. And the, the king himself, via different generations, becomes more and more magnificent until the point at which it starts to disintegrate and it goes back through the cycle. Yeah. So the family unit as a unit, is highly political. Mm. Mm. Marriage, marriage is a social contract. It's a bonding and a bringing together of families, of wealth, of uh, uh, of, of trade. Mm. I mean, traditionally, if you were the owner of a of a of a um, of a mill, you'd make sure your child or yourself, depending on what the thing, married somebody from the family of the wheat growers, yes. right? So you've got a farmer who's growing wheat and you own a mill, you marry into that family, yeah, your descendants are sorted. Yes. Because the descendants are going to take both. Now they've got the wheat and they've got the mill. Finish. Mm. Mm. You know? And then the next one can marry the baker or whatever it is. Yeah. I mean, that's, not, that's not the point. But the, or you have land. I mean, coming back even to what we were talking about, the family becoming a tribe, becoming, yes. a, becoming a clan, becoming a tribe, etc., etc. What's the bonding factor through over generations and through time is marriage. Yes. Marriage is you bringing clans together, you're bringing tribes together, you're bringing kingdoms together, the royalty always married into each other. Yeah. Why? Because it's a solidification of the social contracts. And that's been broken. It's been broken. Marriage is looked down upon. Marriage is... Oh, you know, I'm a man. Why am I going to like do this? It's silly. Well, I'm, I'm a woman. Why should I have just one husband? And it's been it's been done gradually over time. People have been made to think that it's something archaic. Mm. Mm. It's something backwards. It's something ancient. Yes. It's, it, it's not relevant to this new era that we live in. Yes. So you see, there's so many levels to everything. It's like, but then if if there's no contract, the, the, the spark fizzles, disappears. 
and then what's holding what's holding the the, the couple together you know and you these things are they they they're, they're important mm. <laughs> they're yeah. important yeah i mean look this is a, this is this is a very interesting thing for me because personally as a young man in this modern time <laughs> you know i share a lot of those opinions on the contrary you know uh not full heartedly you know but but to some extent when i have thought about marriage i have thought i have thought that i have thought is it required for uh, of me as a man well let me just let me pause you there yeah yeah have you ever stopped and reflected on the fact that every romantic comedy or romance film give or take especially hollywood ends with the couple getting married mm. that's that is one of the biggest bane's of my of of watching conventional hollywood for me because this is what i was about to say is that because it's interesting for me because a lot of the time when i think about story ideas and in a lot of the stories that i do research about uh to inspire to for inspiration like for example one of the biggest ones i'll i'll mention is like i was studying the um I was studying the opera of 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 Wagner the 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 um you know uh, the ring of the nibelungs you know mm. you know and 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 I I was looking at the f- the the beginning of the myth which was um which was the ring and it starts with um so one of the most important things is because this is actually the the pre the prequel to to um to Siegfried right so in the ring um and 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 it starts the entire story starts with uh with gold so immediately it's showing you this unhealthy or kind of attra- or this this kind of attraction this unhealthy attraction that the, that the human being has to gold that it overtakes them and it becomes greed and then he becomes what the giant then becomes the the dragon which signo- which uh, uh symbolizes the ultimate manifestation of greed of what greed has created the monster you know he's just hoarding his treasure in the in the cave you know so it starts with that and then in the middle of it when it comes to i mean already in the prequel you see wind of uh, you hear wind of uh, uh, bromilda you know she's around she's like working for 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 um for odin you know what i mean she's like kind of yeah you know she gets into some trouble there you know i mean i was looking at both the german and the norse because i know there's two different myths there's the norse myth and there's the german myth and they tell the same story of siegfried as the one is sigmund and the one is siegfried but i was looking at both it's more or less the same exactly the same story um anyway so so then it be, then something crazy happens because siegfried after he, dest- he he defeats the dragon he gets his name and he gets his powers he becomes enlightened in a sense or 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 he he realizes his destiny after he defeats the dragon and then after so this is how this is the, what what i find interesting in the in the in the timeline of telling stories of storytelling which is like it starts with first of all the problem the issue the enemy the gold the creation of the enemy then it goes to the the introduction of the hero which is the these parents you know which is um uh with uh, the hero of of the ring and and his wife i can't remember their names but anyway um they almost die brumhilda saves them at the end and then she saves them against odin's commands or valtar's commands right and uh she gets punished for it and she gets thrown into a fire into the mountain 
And then by the time you catch up, the story catches up to Siegfried, Brumilda's already, you know, imprisoned. Siegfried doesn't know, he's, he hasn't really realized himself yet, you know. Um, he's still just living in the forest, having a great time, you know, terrorizing his, his caretaker, which is actually the brother of the dragon, you know, who goes way deep, you know. But anyway, um, he goes through this whole thing of destroying the dragon and he kind of gets his power. So in, in a way, it's like once he destroys this dragon, it's, it is the acceptance of his destiny and, and the, the realization of his purpose. And he, um, he gets these powers that come with it. This, this, this powers that goes beyond human comprehension. So he can, he can speak to birds. He can, yeah, he's invulnerable. He can't be, you know, he can't be impaled in any way. Um, and, after this, he goes into on, an, on, a, on a campaign and he, he go, you know, through this campaign, he, he, he has, goes through these like different battles that he wins and then builds his name. He gets a, a bigger name for himself. And then he reaches a point where he meets this, meets this magical person and tells him like this mythical creature tells him like, yo, there's, there's a woman. Um, uh, and so, so my point being, once he, he, he realizes the destiny, now he must find a woman. Now he's got to he's got to embark on this journey to save his other half, to 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 get his other half, to complete himself, in a way. So he goes on this journey. He reaches Brumhilda and um, he frees her. He defeats the the the, the dragon that's guarding her, um, and he gets his woman. And and for a time things are great. But a part of this treasure that he that he that he's that he stole from the original dragon is the cursed ring. Which is the, you know, in the Lord of the Rings is what, which is based on, on, on Wagner's operas, his, of his series is, 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 is that ring, is the cursed ring, which, um, brings misfortune to anyone who, who has it in their possession. Well, what is the curse of the ring? I don't know exactly. I can't remember if they defined it or not, but I remember it was just like you'll the be ring distracted. itself, the ring gives the holder the power. Mm to control the wealth. Ah, I see. But, and this is the big but, in order to take it and hold it, you must forego love. You must? Forego love. Oh, I see. So the one that holds the ring, the counter, the... The price, in a way. The price that you pay to control men and wealth yeah. is that you must forego love. So you wow. cannot love and you cannot be loved. Mm. Mm. Oh, that's crazy. And all of the drama stems there. From that, yeah. Because I know eventually him and Brumhilde are falling out, if I'm not mistaken. Or they, they separate. See, what Wagner's done is he has given a, a complete expose on the nature of the human creature. And not only the nature of the human creature, but the nature of economics, the nature of politics, the nature of society. And he's, it's all been, it's all drawn from mythology. Yes. And then on top of that, just to, because he is just genius, mm. he's created the most beautiful music to communicate 
the different emotions and feelings of each one of these characters as they mm. go on this epic journey. So you have this music which is sublime. You have this story which is sublime. You have these characters which are manifestations of different aspects of the human creature and the social dynamics and the family dynamics, etc., etc. Votan puts his daughter, punishes his daughter by putting her in a ring of fire. Mm. How many fathers put their daughters in rings of fire, metaphorical rings of fire? It's all imagery, yes, it's all symbolism. Yes, of course. In order for Siegfried to find him, to to reach his highest capacity, he has to take the woman and save her from the father, jump out of the ring of fire. But Brunhilde has to take the leap of faith. Mm. She, This man just comes there into the ring of fire and, and says, jump. Yes. And she has to jump. You know, there's all of, there's so, that's, I mean, these are like the snippets. Yeah. Now, I wanted to ask you when you were saying it, what does, what is the dragon? If you were Siegfried, if Siegfried is you, what is the dragon? What does the dragon represent? Um, what is the dragon? Think about it from the hero's journey, Joseph Campbell. Oh, the, you mean in the perspective of, of, of the dragon, the significance to, 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 to starting his journey, to, to, for, for being at the beginning of his journey? Is that what the, you mean? The significance of the dragon. Why is it that slaying the dragon gives him this power? Why is it that he slays the dragon and gives him that power? I think because... Look, I'm going to answer your question now, right? So this is my answer. I think this is my final answer. This is the best I can try to work it out, right? So in the prequel leading up to Siegfried, the dragon in a way is, is in, a, in a way is his inheritance of, 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 his, of his past. You know, it's a part of what created his current story. You know, the, the dragon was the giant Fafnir that originally took the treasure um, in, in, in the prequel where, where, it, where he went against Siegfried's father, you know. So for me, it was, it's, it's like a, my understanding is that it's this personal thing that he has to finish in order to seal his, like, in order to seal his past. Pause. You are Siegfried. Mm -hmm. You're in the forest and you look up and there's a dragon. What do you feel? I feel, I feel adrenaline and I feel like I need to do something about this. You know, okay. I feel like, I feel like I should be preparing to take up arms to fight this thing. Okay. You're very brave. I mean, obviously I'm terrified, but if I'm Siegfried, then Siegfried never knew fear, you know? So if I'm Siegfried, but you are Siegfried. Yeah. You are As I am. Okay. walking through the forest yeah. and suddenly there's the dragon. So what I'm what are you feeling? I'm feeling terrified. I'm, I'm hightailing it out of there. I'm like, you know, I'm picking up my boots and I'm going. Exactly. Because what does the dragon represent? Fear. What does the fear represent? Why are you afraid of this dragon? Why am I afraid? Because it's, it's a monstrosity. It's huge. It's so what's that monstrosity, this huge monstrosity going to do to you? They're going to devour me. And then what happens to you? I become a part of it. Well, before well, you become a part of it. Well, I, I die. Exactly. Mm. So what's the fear? The fear of death. So mm. 
when you confront that fear, you reach a higher level. You confront that fear. I mean, everything in your entire existence is telling you, get the hell out of here. Or But you, don't. you can face it, confront it. Yes. And if you have the training and the, mm. the gravity and the courage, mm. you slay it. And then you get magical powers. Mm. You already died. Yeah. Now you're free, brother. Mm. I mean, it's, that's fascinating. Even like to even if you consider the point that I mean, it's it's even it's a part of his history. You know, like it's a part. The dragon is there before it was already destined to face Siegfried. In the previous story, before he so let me come was... back. Let me come back again. What is the dragon? What is experiencing the fear of the dragon? What is experiencing the fear of the dragon? Experiencing the f not turning away, not facing up to the challenge, would be, I think, would be. It, it's being ultimately alive. I think. I okay. think it's being. Let's backtrack a bit because this is this is interesting. Up until the point that Siegfried meets the dragon, and well, let's let's even take a step back. In Joseph Campbell's hero's journey, yes, the hero gets a call to adventure. Mm. Right, he crosses the threshold, and now he's in the unknown world. Yes, and in this unknown world, he has to overcome this obstacle and that obstacle and this obstacle and that obstacle, and is difficulty after difficulty. Now. In the best of stories, in the best narratives, those obstacles get harder and harder and harder and more and more difficult and more and more difficult until the hero eventually has built up the necessary skills and knowledge of himself in order to confront the massive obstacle at the end of the journey. He has found that he he has. Um, come to terms with himself and who he is and by going on this journey and confronting all these obstacles he's ready and he's able to conquer the ultimate obstacle yes however that manifests in the narrative and then he come then he's free of what was blocking him at the beginning and he's able to go back to where he started having learned from this journey and being able to pass that on to the society that he came from yes Right. So now the hero, Ahmed Bilal, has received the call to adventure. He's gone on this journey. He's confronted obstacle after obstacle after obstacle after obstacle. And then suddenly he finds himself in front of the dragon. You have every, you've already, you've already received everything that you need to receive. You've got the talisman from this one and you've, you've avoided the evil tempstress and you've you know got this key and this sword and whatever you have every you have all the tools you need in order to defeat the dragon what is the dragon what is the dragon for me what is the dragon for everybody for everybody okay because we're talking here about mythology we're talking about the the human narrative we're talking about storytelling why is storytelling so powerful because it it hits you 
at a level which is so deep below the surface. You're not even aware of how it's hitting you. Mm. Why is Greek tragedy catharsis? Because you're seeing these disgusting, horrific acts being played out. And in seeing it being played out, you're you're healing yourself. There's a catharsis. Yeah. There's, a, there's a freeing of it. Mm. Because the human creature contains all of these possibilities. Yes. Hmm? Yes. So, what is the dragon? What's stopping you? What's making you fear all of the smaller obstacles? Ultimately, I think, for me, a lot of, a lot of the dragons that, that I face in life, I think, uh, you know, to some extent, it, 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 it boils down to, 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 to a level of, of, of um, to a level of self, self-doubt and fear. Okay. Who created the self-doubt? Where did the self-doubt come from? Okay. I think I see where you're getting at now. I mean, look, the, where did the self-doubt come from? The self-doubt, it, it was instilled in me through a series of experiences through in, 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 in conventional life, in conventional existence, through conventional means of, 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 you know, the average day of going to school, of, you know, finishing school, of all of these little menial tasks to getting a job. Not ever was I, was I showed from the world a healthy uh, relationship with um, with failure, in the sense of that we we are made so we are made to f- to fear failure so much that we're not even willing to try because we're so afraid of of failing, right? You're so afraid of failure. Well, I well well, well me yeah, right. Uh, to some extent, of course, you know, because I do believe that fortune favors the bold, and that to some, ex- to to some, you know, justice, you need to be able to uh, uh, make bold moves in order to get what you want at the end of the day, mm-hmm. you know, or to reach the places you want to reach. But having said that, even though I I I I try to take on this attitude and I try to tell myself that the doubt is still there, the fear is still there, you know. Ooh created the doubt where did the doubt come from i want to say that it came from external means but at the end of the day i think it's it comes from with within myself of of within myself not having the or, or not believing that that I have the means to take on the dragon, you know. So, so in everything, I can I know the dragon's there, you know. I can see the dragon. Who is the dragon? The dra- the dragon for me. The dragon for me is honestly, it's 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 something it's something internal for me. It's it's something that is. is Who is the dragon? I, am I the dragon? <laughs> Am I the dragon? Maybe I am the dragon because who is I? I am human. Who's experiencing you as the human? 
and I I'm experiencing myself as the human. Are you? Not really, but what I is the experience? <laughs> you think it too deep, bro? I don't know. You wanted can... to you, you wanted to go deep, brother. You wanted to go deep. Uh, no, but I, I feel you. I feel you, and I. I mean, I'm not sure if I've answered your question yet. You know, okay, let me, I want let me, to answer I, your question. No, I, I've, I've just been pushing you. Yes, I'm pushing you deeper into. You want to understand these characters. You want to understand this the hero's journey. You want to create these deep, reflective characters, which somebody watching the thing is going to resonate with. Yes, right. They're going to resonate with it not consciously. They're going to resonate with it. On a heart level, yes. yes. So this, that's what I want to push you to your heart level. I want to push you beyond your thoughts, beyond all of these structures that you've created in your mind mm. from whatever was laid out in front of you. It, it yes. doesn't matter. Mm. You didn't choose who your father was. You didn't choose who your mother was. You didn't choose which house you were going to be born into. You didn't choose your genetic coding. This is all you just got it. Yes. This is what you were given, right? You didn't choose what school you went to. You were too young. You didn't choose how many siblings you have. You didn't. This all of these things are way out of your control. Mm. Nobody controls it. You know. You just you, you get what you. You didn't choose the time that you were born into. We didn't choose the that this time that we're going to be born into is the the collapse of this ideology of political democracy liberal democracy we didn't choose that this is just the time that we've been found that we've been given we didn't choose our teachers most yeah. of them in our early childhood so and this is this is the point that i'm kind of leading to a man or a woman reaching their adolescent mm. That, that 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 period of adolescence when you're you're neither here nor there you're 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 not a child you're not an adult you you don't know who you are you're trying to find your identity you're asking all these questions you're curious etc 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 at that point in your life you are just a product of your conditioning mm. and that's it you you're not to blame you're not lesser or more you're not better or worse you just are whatever you've been given at that point in time at which point you go the the the, the one that wants to be the one that wants to know more goes and searches for something it goes and searches for the uh, what is their meaning what's their identity who are they really yes am i abdullah dutton is my whole identity Dutton or mm. is Abdullah actually removed from Dutton? Is Abdullah actually somebody completely unique? It's got nothing to do with anybody else. Mm. It's me and my coding, my fingerprint. Nobody else has my fingerprint. Nobody else has my iris. You know, so, okay. So if I'm unique, you know, what's all this other baggage which I'm carrying? What's all this mm. drama that I'm seeing and these issues I have in my life and these relationships that aren't working? And, that's the journey and as you walk down that path you start to realize you are carrying not only your own baggage from your childhood and your conditioning but you're carrying your parents baggage mm -hmm. and they were carrying their parents baggage 
and they were carrying their parents back. And it keeps going back, coming back to Wagner. He uses three generations. There's Wotan and his wife. Yeah. Then there's Siegmund and Sieglinde. And then the child, the third generation, is Siegfried. Siegfried's yes. the hero. Siegfried's the one that, but, and interestingly, he was orphaned. Mm. He didn't, he wasn't raised by his parents. He was raised by the goblin yes. that he terrorized, like you mentioned. So this man just had to create his whole reality, his whole identity from himself, not from some external idea that the father's imposing this, the mother's imposing that. No, no, no. He's had to create it all himself. And he's the one who's fearless. Mm. Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was an orphan. Mm. You see? There's these there's these there's deep, deep, deep meanings in, 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 in the symbolism, in the metaphors of what and this is what I'm saying, like these. Wagner's the, the, these, the ring of the Nibelungen you can take it and you can go deeper and deeper and deeper you can it's, it's a it's a universe that you can keep pulling out of and so when it comes to the point at which you're standing in front of the dragon the dragon is everything that is blocking you from the reality so what is blocking you from the reality is yourself and everything that you've created in your mind and your thoughts and your ideas and your analysis of creation and your analysis of this and your analysis of that. And to face the self is horrifying. It's horrifying. No one wants to be told who they are. No one wants to accept that they're actually their father. Nobody wants to... believe the lies that they tell themselves <laughs> yes mm. Mm. now i've definitely um i've definitely experienced that you know i mean it's funny because now you mentioned the, the relationship between father and you know just that thing of between even just parent and child you know mm, no, but, 100%, yeah. but also just father and son you know like i, I know with, with my father my father has always been like in my life has always been the the mirror of reality mm. you know um regardless of you know of what was going on in his life at the time and difficulties and family and you know wives and all of these things whenever i would go to him for advice or, or i would be presented with a dilemma of some sort moral or practical or whatever um he'd always be able to give me the advice i'd I didn't want a year and I didn't want a year and for a long time I had a complex about it for a very long time mm. I had a complex about it where I wouldn't want to discuss anything with him mm. because I'm actually afraid of hearing the truth about myself yeah do you know what I mean like if that makes sense so and now I'm at a point at an age and at a level of maturity where we have conversations and our, our conversations are just like that, mm. you know, and we can share ideas and I can take his advice through the conversation without it being like this. I'm getting a lecture now from my Confrontation. father. Confrontation. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and only now it's something that I'm, you know, it's one of the things I'm, I'm most, I, I try to be most grateful for in my life because it's, it's really as as difficult as it is to 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 look at yourself from outside yourself you know and mm -hmm. and i always you know when when i was young I, I i started reading 
I started reading heavy, heavier material from a young age because it was the books that were around, you know. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so one of the books that I read, uh, you know, in during the time of adolescence, when I was going through adolescence, it was two books or three. The first book my father gave me was The Three Musketeers. Oh. You know, and he said, and it was a time where my, 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 my futua was in question. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so he said, read this and, you know, and t- learn what futua is, you know. And, um, and then the second book he gave me was Machiavelli, which I've read a couple of times and still don't understand uh, completely. Um, yeah, but, um, and then the last one was, so it was, Mac- it was Machiavelli, it was Three Musketeers. And, um, oh, and the one book was my father used to, I don't know why he, he, he enjoys, uh, Dr. Robert Lang. He's got a couple, he's got a, got a, quite a lot of his books. And the one book I read, which during the time of adolescence, which was so significant because it, it's called Sanity, Madness and the Family. Oui. <laughs> and it's, it's basically like dr robert lang reopens cases of patients that have already been diagnosed with schizophrenia or severe paranoia all of these intense Mm. mental illnesses you know and he reopens their cases and a lot of these people's cases were looked at when they were either you know some of them were a lot younger like teenagers and now they are grown up and they have children and their cases are being looked at again by dr robert Mm. Lang. and he's trying to prove that these these people were diagnosed without looking at everything without a thorough pro- process of of, mm. of analysis yeah, yeah, yeah and it's the entire book is just settings of him having dialogue it's all just dialogue of him with patients and with patients parents and brothers and he looks at every family member he interviews every family member individually and then together and then all together yeah, yeah you know okay. to get a full picture and when i was reading this book, the, the thing I took from it, besides obviously the general thing, I'm just trying to understand different psychological uh, knots and, and drives, inner drives. To some extent, and, 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 and it's a double-edged sword because you can never really see yourself truly, no matter how much you believe, there's always going to be something that's going to creep up on you that you didn't know about yourself or that you, you must or that you, you know what I mean? That's still going to surprise you about life, you know, and about yourself. And, um, but although, you know, having said that, after reading this book, it, I, start, I started doing something subconsciously, which was looking at myself from a psychoanalytical point of view. It, it, you can't it, analyze yourself. You can't analyze yourself. It's, it's almost impossible. You know, you need the mirror. You need the external thing. The human is a social creature. You need the the father there to reflect your exactly. what you don't want to be. You need the mother there to reflect another side of you. And I'm giving examples. I'm not saying you need the yeah. wife yeah. in a very intimate setting who reflects back to you. You know who you are. The child reflects back to you. You, the friends, the society the random man in the middle of the street who just shouts at you how do you react when the man shouts well in that moment yeah maybe one day you react differently to another day but a man just shouts at you in the street no reason at all how do you react i mean i'd be like i'd first of all check like yo who are you right somebody else might be scared like you were saying before somebody else might feel this somebody else might feel that Mm. but 
that is you it's your universe it's something that you've you've brought that event to you you've brought the person who cuts you off in the traffic mm. it's an event that's manifest in front of you for you now you can how do you choose to react to that situation and so you know it's it's it, when it it all comes down to the moment being in every single moment but there's something that i wanted to say and and I, I, before i say that i want to preface it by saying like wow how blessed you are to have received those books from your father at the, that period uh, of time yeah absolutely and that requires immense gratitude you know and i, I think that you you're like i said before you don't choose your parents you don't choose the situation you don't choose any of these things and look what allah has blessed you with yes. you know and that's 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 massive and yeah. things like that need to be looked at for what they are mm. it's like one act like that giving you the three musketeers yeah. at that time in life how many fathers give their children books like that nowadays and at the time you know as a it's, it's almost like it's a prescribed medicine you yes. know it's like it's it's beautiful but now drawing on this i mean we were supposed to be talking about nobility you know and essex and there's one thing that i want to highlight from your friend's story yes that i something that i see from it this man from zimbabwe is that you mentioned and correct me if i'm wrong but you in conversing with him in doing things with him in in being in his social circle you've mentioned that you have witnessed nobility in him or or that form that yes. style yes he's a prince mm. that's it yeah is in his ancestral coding mm. literally and figuratively that's where he comes from yes that's what he comes from that's what his genetic coding is and there's an important now again we come back to the same thing that we were saying just because you're born noble doesn't mean you will act noble just because you have noble heritage doesn't mean that you have nobility but it is in his genetics and he can and he is living it and he can nurture it and take it to to a higher level yes and if we take every human and you take it right back to the source and you take it right back to the fitra of the human creature has the possibility of nobility anybody yes it's 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 in the it's in the the makeup of the human and anybody can get it but it all starts with a yearning yes. you have to want it you have to want that style you have to want to live that style and that style doesn't necessarily mean wearing a suit doesn't necessarily mean this or this or that because it's a, it's a style it's a way you carry yourself and yes it's attractive but it's not attractive because the man's the 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 the, the, the man or the woman looks beautiful because of their outward Mm. aesthetic yes they're beautiful because of their inward aesthetic and it's that inward at its highest it shines on the face yes and you cannot avoid it and that's what we want 
And that's what we yearn for. And that's what we we work towards. And it it benefits. It's one of those things that benefits everybody. It benefits everyone that's being served, and it benefits the one who's serving. Yes. And that's and 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 the 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 one of nobility keeps the company of noble people. And so there's a constant dynamic between these 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 men and women that are constantly competing with each other in being better. And not that you're putting the other one down for being worse, but it's the in other words, it, 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 you're you're raising the other one up to be better than you. It's like that healthy healthy competition. Exactly, and it's like I am, you know, like you 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 don't you compete in acts of generosity. Not saying, oh, I gave a hundred thousand, oh, I gave a hundred and twenty thousand, but you just feed a hundred thousand people. Okay, you feed a hundred people, and the next one is like, he fed a hundred people, I, I want to feed a hundred and fifty, and he feeds a hundred and fifty, hundred and fifty, I'm feeding two hundred. You know, it's an inward competition. We compete in acts of nobility among a grouping of nobility. Everybody wins because it's a collective and it's an ethos and it's expansive and it overflows. And the opposite is what we have in our time today, which is individualism. Me, me, me. I want to be richer. I want to make more money. I want to be, I want 100 million followers. I want everyone to be looking at me. I want to be famous. I want to be known. I, 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 and it's all insular. Yes. Lockdown. I'm alone. I'm stuck in my house. Da, da, da. All of these things, it's, it's not conspiracy theory. It's that the system wants people to be alone and alienated. And that's against the human nature. Thank you for listening to this episode of the New Nomos podcast. I have to say that Ahmed Bilal is such a fine, fine, fine young man. And it really was an honor to do this recording. And I'm so thankful for what he brought out of me. That said, this is only the first part. And the second part will be on its way shortly. So stay tuned. And of course, thank you.